Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Plain and Precious Things. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another week. I thought I'd start this week off by getting just some house business out of the way. I want to remind you that if you are enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and not only rate the podcast, but then also take a couple of minutes and give us a review. This really helps people to be able to find Sister Scriptorians because it does help Sister Scriptorians find its place in the search engines of iTunes. Also, I am going to try to be more social, more social on Facebook and also on Instagram. I'm not very good at it, but I know if you're there and you're interacting with me, I know that I can overcome this mental block that I have with social media. So look for Sister Scriptorians on Instagram and on Facebook, and let's talk there. I want to hear about your journey. I want to hear about your successes. I want to know when you're stuck, and maybe we can help each other out that way. And speaking of Facebook, I want to draw your attention to Elder Neil L. Anderson's Facebook posts that he has been posting the last couple of weeks. If you are not connected with him, it is worth going, find him on Facebook, and start from, I believe it's August 15th. It's a Wednesday night, and he is making a commitment that he's going to do something that he's never done before, that he's going to record his experiences as he travels to Canada with President Russell M. Nelson, that he's going to record his experiences there on Facebook to share them with us, to know what it's like, and to know what he learns from the prophet of God. This Facebook post, along with the ones that will come, have completely touched my soul. One account that he captures is that they went and spoke to 4,000 saints from the Montreal, Ottawa area. Elder Anderson has a way of writing these experiences in such an intimate way that I feel like I'm on his shoulder experiencing them right along with him. He mentioned how President Nelson expressed his desire to spare the younger people in the room 60 to 70 years by declaring the 10 most important truths he knows. And one of those truths leads into what I want to discuss here today. One of those truths was Satan is allowed to function. And in chapters 13 and 14 of 1 Nephi, Nephi hits this home that the adversary is an intentional figure. And in the vision that Nephi is receiving, he witnesses the tug and pull of the adversary But he also sees the plan that God has already in place and that God's plan will be victorious. Remember from last week's episode that we discussed how Nephi was able to see the nations and the kingdoms of the Gentiles. Now upon these lands, he sees a formation of a great church and it is most abominable above all other churches and it slayeth the saints of God It tortureth them and bindeth them down. It yoketh them with a yoke of iron, and it bringeth them down into captivity. 
and Nephi witnesses that the devil is the founder of it. He sees that the desires of this great and abominable church is gold, silver, silks, scarlets, fine twined linen, and all manner of precious clothing, and that he also saw many harlots. And for the praise of the world do they destroy the saints of God and bring them down into captivity. And when we speak about the great and abominable church, we are not speaking about one specific church. And a better use of our language and our understanding for our day would be to describe it as the devil's kingdom versus the Lord's kingdom. And Nephi witnesses a book that's being carried amongst the Gentiles. And he records that out of the mouth of a Jew, this book did come. So it is a record of the Jews. And it contains covenants of the Lord, which was made unto the house of Israel. And it contains many prophecies of the holy prophets. And it is like the engravings upon the brass plates, except... Within this book, there are not as many prophecies as the brass plates contains. But he notices that this book is of great worth to the Gentiles. And in its original state, as it came out of the mouth of the Jew, it is what the twelve apostles did bear record of. And when it came from the mouth of the Jews, it did come out in purity. But this great and abominable church took away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which were plain and precious. Many covenants were removed. And why? Why would the great and abominable church, why would the devil go to such lengths to remove elements out of the gospel of Jesus Christ? To be able to pervert the right ways of the Lord, to blind our eyes and to harden our hearts. And he knew what the effects of that would be. That without these plain and precious things, we would have stumbling blocks in our way, and he would be able to have power over us. In these verses, I want to make note that Nephi is seeing that this book, or what we call the Bible, is important to the Gentiles, that they value it. Another important thing to notice is that it was intentional that the adversary removed plain and precious things from the Bible. I think it feels better for us to say that things were lost in translation. But remember President Nelson's truth that Satan is allowed to function. And he did. And he has created stumbling blocks for us. But once again, we see the mercy of our Savior Jesus Christ and of our Heavenly Father. Because the Gentiles were led out of captivity and they were lifted up by the power of God above all other nations. Nephi records that... God won't allow the Gentiles to utterly destroy the mixture of his seed with his brethren's seed. And it is also promised that the Lord God won't suffer that the Gentiles should remain in an awful state of blindness because of the plain and precious things that were removed from the Bible. And how does he go about doing this? Well, the Lord God already had a plan. He was going to show his mercy to the remnant of the house of Israel, referring to Lehi's seed that he's going to visit them and he is going to bring forth his power and much of his gospel to them, that he is going to show himself to Nephi's seed and that they are going to write many things that Jesus will minister unto them. And these things will be plain and precious. And after Nephi's seed and much of his brethren's seed is destroyed and after they dwindle in unbelief, these things or the record in which they are keeping will be hid up and will come forth unto the Gentiles. 
and it will contain the Lord's gospel, which he calls his rock and his salvation. And what do we know that record to be? We know that record to be the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. Nephi tells us that the Book of Mormon will have the power to be able to convince Gentiles, the seed of his brothers, the Jews that are scattered, that the record of the prophets and the twelve apostles is true. It will establish the truth of the Bible, and it will make known to us the plain and the precious things that had been taken away, and so that every kindred, tongue, and people will know that the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father, the Savior of the world, and that all men must come unto Him to be saved. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, within our hands, within the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price, we have these plain and precious things restored to us. And we have these scriptures that tell us so. But do we know what we have? Do we know the truth that is explained in plain terms and that are precious in the sight of God? Do we know of their protective powers? Do we appreciate the clarity that they give us of God's plan, of who we are in that plan? Do we appreciate how they explain who he is that we worship, and how we can have a relationship with him and return back to him again. Do we appreciate the blessings of peace that these plain and precious truths that have been restored to us bring into our lives and sink down into our hearts? When I was a senior in high school, I lived in Southern California, and one of our favorite things to do, or one of my favorite things to do, was to drive down to Balboa Beach. And at Balboa Beach, they have these fire pits and we would have a bonfire. We would fill up the cars and there would be sometimes between 15 to 20 of us down there having fun. And we were from different high schools, but we were all members of the church. And we would then sometimes walk across the street. There was like a carnival-like, arcade-like atmosphere called the Balboa Fun Zone. And it would be right off the harbor there. And we would walk over there and, and meander around. And one particular Saturday night, we were there and it was getting late. And one of my friends, I don't remember who, said, you know what, we better head back. Tomorrow is fast Sunday. And then all of a sudden, it seems to me that we were surrounded by a handful of people from a different church. And they started in a contentious way, started asking about what church we belonged to. And once they found out that we were from the LDS church, the atmosphere became even more contentious. And they pulled out their Bibles and they started asking us, why do you believe that you need to be baptized by immersion? And I remember that this individual was asking me specifically and I didn't know what to say. I just, I said something to the effect of, well, because that's the way you're supposed to be baptized. And they were like, where? Show me, show me in the scriptures where, where does it say I'm supposed to be baptized by immersion? Why is my pa baptism not good enough? It was contentious and it was startling to me. It was unexpected. Luckily, I was with somebody who had the presence of mind that as these people continued to ask questions, and pressure us into a conversation about baptism, that one of my friends named Chad said, we are baptized by immersion because that's how our Savior Jesus Christ was, and we want to follow him. And I remember him grabbing us and saying, let's go, and we all walked off. 
Looking back, that was such a huge example to me. And I value that experience that I was able to have. Though even looking back, it felt like I was being attacked unnecessarily. It showed me the difference in doctrine that we have versus other churches have. Did I meet Satan that day? No. It felt contentious. It felt adversarial. But I did not meet evil. Instead, I met people who valued the Bible, that it meant a lot to them, but that their confusion regarding plain and precious things did lead to an adversarial feeling and had become a stumbling block. There are many amazing Christians in this world who follow the Bible and who love and value it, who love their families, who love their Savior Jesus Christ, and who want to become like him who know their Bible so well that they are able to apply the principles that they find within it to modern day experiences that they're having. And I've listened to many of their podcasts and I enjoy them and I'm uplifted by them. And actually they inspired me to create Sister Scriptorians for women of our church so that we have a podcast to be able to go to and learn principles from the Book of Mormon and be able to apply them to our everyday podcasts like God's Center Mom or Focus on the Family are all doing a marvelous work to be able to instill the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their daily lives. I honor them and I respect them and I actually consider myself to be one of them as I too am striving to become like my Savior Jesus Christ. President Hinckley once made an invitation to anybody who is not of this church. I say we recognize all of the virtues and the good that you have. Bring it with you and see if we might add upon it. And that is exactly what our scripture does. The Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and our modern day prophets who do receive revelation add upon the knowledge that is already out there amongst our fellow men. There may be confusion about baptism. Should it be by immersion? Should it be sprinkling? Should it be a pouring? Some churches let you choose which one you prefer to have. Should it happen in infancy or later on in life and perhaps even in adulthood? All of these questions are clarified and put to rest within our scripture. Doctrine and Covenants tells us that the age of accountability is eight years old. Scriptures tell us that Satan doesn't have power to influence children before that time, but that when they get to the age of accountability, that's when baptism can take place and that they will have the ability to be able to choose between right and wrong. In 3 Nephi chapter 11, when the Savior visits, he not only tells them how to baptize, but he tells them what to say when they're baptizing. In our scriptures, we have knowledge that tells us about a pre-existence, that we were spirit children of our Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Mother, and that we came down to this earth to receive bodies. This doctrine is not known as specifically amongst other churches, but this tells us where we came from, why we're here, and where we are going It answers those basic questions that many are searching to understand and that when we do, we are anchored. We know that Adam's fall was necessary 
And how do we know this? Because Father Lehi taught it, that it was purposeful and necessary that Adam fell, that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy. And we don't think ill of Adam. We honor the role that he had. And we don't think ill of Eve. We honor the decision and big picture mindset that she had and the choice that she made. We know that we are weak because of this fall, but we know that it's a necessary plan of our Heavenly Father. Because in Ether chapter 12, Moroni tells us, And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness, that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me, and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. It is all a part of his plan. Some might even say that the closer we move towards our Savior Jesus Christ, the more weak we will realize we are, the more humble we will become, and the more faith we will have in him as we rely upon him. Why is there opposition? We're told in the Book of Mormon that there's to be an opposition in all things because how can we experience joy if we don't also experience sorrow? And knowing that there is an opposition in all things can put so much of our anxiety to rest if we choose to believe this truth. Opposition does not mean your worth is in question. Opposition does not mean that you are on the wrong path. There is to be opposition in all things because it gives us the opportunity to choose. And agency is what the Book of Mormon is all about. And it tells us that all of us are blessed with the light of Christ when we come here to earth. That we begin to know right from wrong from the beginning. And this light of Christ helps us to be able to seek after him and to be able to come to know him. And to be able to discern between his truth and the adversary's lies. And that when we mess up, there is an atonement. President Packer points out that the Book of Mormon 55 times uses the word atone or variations of that. It is only used once in the New Testament. But 55 times it's used in the Book of Mormon, 11 times in the Doctrine and Covenants, and 3 times in the Pearl of Great Price. And this isn't even counting the hundreds of scriptures that are dedicated to explaining what the atonement is. How plain and precious the atonement of Jesus Christ is, and yet it is only found once in the New Testament. Moroni thought he was done recording upon the plates of gold, but yet his life hadn't ended yet. And so he continued to add, and we're grateful that he did because in Moroni 2, it talks about how to bestow the gift of the Holy Ghost upon others. In Moroni 3, it talks about how to ordain someone to the priesthood office. In Moroni 4, it talks about the sacrament prayers That's in both Moroni 4 and Moroni 5. And then in Moroni 6, he talks about the requirements of baptism, the need for membership records, the need for saints to meet regularly, and what are they to do while they meet? They are to partake of the sacrament. What about personal revelation? Over and over again, the Book of Mormon shows us that we can have a personal, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father through personal communication. 
that we can receive answers to our prayers, that we can get our knees and pour out our heart, and that he will hear us and that he will answer us. And who doesn't want us to do that? The adversary. The Book of Mormon tells us that we can come to know the mysteries of God, and it shows us the process that we must go through in order to be able to receive revelation. The Book of Mormon supports the truth that President Nelson explained, that the adversary is allowed to function. Though we don't see it so clearly defined in the Old Testament, but in the Book of Mormon, we are told more about him that he was an angel of God that fell from grace because of his rebellion. We're told the tactics that Satan will use, that he will teach us to not pray. We're told that other tactics of his is to rage in the hearts of men, to stir them up into anger, that he'll pacify and lull us away into just feeling secure and giving us the false impression that everything is well in Zion. But all the while, he is cheating our souls and leading us carefully down into hell. We are told that he has been doing this since our first parents were here upon the earth. But no fear, the Book of Mormon gives us an antidote that Satan can't have more power upon us than we're willing to allow him to have. And that when we are righteous, Satan can have no power over us. This plain and precious truth gives us the confidence to be able to do mortality, to do mortality when there's opposition, to square back our shoulders, and to choose to receive the power of God versus the false power that Satan promises us. The Book of Mormon restores the plain and precious truths of the prophecies of Joseph of Egypt, who prophesies of Joseph Smith, the Latter-day Seer. It tells of the coming of the Book of Mormon and clearly explains the events and the power that this book will bring to scattered Israel. It restores the lost teachings of Zenos about the scattering of Israel, but also about the gathering back. It tells us what the true meaning of being born again means, that when we have been born again, that a change in us will occur a change within our hearts that we will have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. So that's where our focus will be on doing good, that we will be called the children of Christ, and that we will take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ and covenant with God, that we will be obedient to him to the end of our lives. No wonder President Nelson is once again reaffirming that our name is not the Mormon church, not the LDS church, or any other variation thereof, but our name is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Clarification of whose side we are on and whose children we are. Book of Mormon tells us that seers do exist, that there is a relationship between justice and mercy. And think about the plain and precious truth that the pride cycle of humanity brings to us as we read the Book of Mormon and we understand this cycle, that when the children of God are obedient, he will bless them and they will prosper. But then pride creeps in and then sin occurs and there must be punishment. But this punishment brings about a humility in which the children of God then repent and are then once again obedient, and then it repeats. 
What peace does knowing this cycle bring to you? What vision and clarity as you observe your surroundings does this principle bring into your life? Are you able to see the adversary more quickly? Are you able to discern more clearly between right and wrong? I mean righteousness and wickedness. The Book of Mormon gives us this principle in order to be able to help us know where we are at in the cycle and what we need to do in order to be able to come back to him. And my final example, though there are many more, would we know who the other sheep were that the Savior refers to in John chapter 10, verse 16? Would we know who these other sheep were if we didn't have the Book of Mormon? If we didn't have the Savior's visitation to the promised land captured as he refers to them as his other sheep? Having this captured, does that give us more clarity and more confidence in the Savior's second coming? Does it help us imagine what it will be like, what he'll be like, what our experience will be like? I know in my life that I don't think I have valued the plain truths that have been restored and the peace and clarity and order that they have brought into my life. But reading the vision of Nephi and understanding that this was intentionally done by God in order to be able to help us eliminate those stumbling blocks and to eliminate the power that Satan can have over our lives, even though the Bible is good, there is more that the Book of Mormon has to offer as its companion. And it is a marvelous work and wonder that is being worked among us. Sister Scriptorians, review the plain and precious things that have blessed your life and take note of the clarity, the peace, and the power that these plain and precious things has blessed your life with. I challenge you to share them with your family, and I challenge you to pray for an opportunity to share it with someone else, not of our faith, to add upon the virtues and the good that they already have. Have a good day.